Chapter Eleven, Part One of Knots Untied by J. C. Ryle. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Marianne. Chapter Eleven: The Priest, Part One. We have a great high priest. Hebrews Chapter Four, Verse Fourteen. He that wishes to have any comfort in religion must have a priest. A religion without a priest is a poor, unhappy, useless thing. Now what is our religion? Have we a priest? We are all such sinful, corrupt creatures that we are unfit by ourselves to have anything to do with God. God is so holy a being that he cannot bear that which is evil, and so high a being that his majesty makes us afraid. We are so fallen and defective and guilty that we naturally shrink from God and dare not speak to him or look him in the face. We need an almighty friend between us, we need a mediator and advocate, able, willing, loving, commissioned, tried, proved, and ready to help us. Have we found this out? Have we got a friend? Have we a priest? The Christian religion provides the very thing that man's soul and conscience require. It is the glory of God's word that it reveals to man the very friend and mediator that he needs, the God-man, Christ Jesus. It tells us of the very priest that meets our wants, even Jesus, the Son of God. It sets him fully before us, in the epistle to the Hebrews, as the very person that our longing hearts could desire. To open up this great subject is the simple purpose of this paper. I think it will clear our way and throw broad light on the matter in hand if I state three plain questions and try to supply answers to them. 1. Where is Jesus Christ now? 2. What is Jesus Christ doing now? 3. What is Jesus Christ going to do before the end of the world? When we have considered these three questions, we shall perhaps be better able to answer the inquiry, Have we a priest? 1. In the first place, where is Jesus Christ now? Let us take care that we understand the drift of this inquiry. He about whom we are now asking is no common person. He is God as well as man, and man as well as God. The words of the Creed ought to be carefully remembered. Jesus Christ is God of the substance of the Father, begotten before the worlds, and man of the substance of his mother, born in the world, perfect God and perfect man, of a reasonable soul and human flesh subsisting. This, at any rate, is sound speech that cannot be condemned. This is one of the foundation doctrines of Christianity. Where is Jesus Christ as God? That is not the question I want to consider. As God, he is everywhere. He fills heaven and earth. There is no street corner, there is no height above or depth beneath, where he is not. Wherever two or three are met together on earth in his name, there he is in the midst of them. Show me where your God is, said an infidel to a Christian. Show me where your God is, and I will give you a penny. Show me where he is not, was the crushing reply. I am not asking where Christ is as God. But where is Christ as man? That is the point. Where is the body that was born of the Virgin Mary? Where is the head that was crowned with thorns? Where are the hands that were nailed to the cross, and the feet that walked by the Sea of Galilee? Where are the eyes that wept tears at the grave of Lazarus? Where is the side that was pierced with a spear? 
where is the visage that was marred more than any man and the form more than the sons of man isaiah chapter fifty two verse fourteen where in a word is the man jesus christ that is the question i answer in the words of scripture that christ is passed into the heavens that he has entered into the holy place that he has entered into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of god for us and that the heavens must receive him until the time of restitution of all things hebrews chapter 4 verse 14 chapter 9 verses 12 to 24 acts chapter 3 verse 21 let us mark this well christ as man is in heaven and not in the grave the jews pretended to deny that he rose from the dead the infidels of modern times profess to believe that the ashes of jesus of nazareth are still lying like the remains of any other man in some syrian town what is this but kicking against the pricks if ever there was a fact proved by unanswerable evidence in this world it is the fact that jesus rose from the dead that he died on a friday is certain that he was buried in a sepulchre hewn out of rock that night is certain that the stone over the place was sealed and a guard of soldiers set around it is certain that the grave was opened and the body gone on sunday morning is certain that the soldiers could give no account of it is certain that the disciples themselves could hardly believe that their master had risen is certain that after seeing him several times for forty days they at last were convinced is certain that once convinced they never ceased to teach and hold even to death that their master had risen is certain that the unbelieving jews could neither shake the disciples out of their belief nor show christ's dead body nor give any satisfactory account of what had become of it is equally certain all this is certain 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 the resurrection of christ is a great unanswerable undeniable fact there are none so blind as those that will not see once more let us mark this point christ as man is in heaven and not on the communion table at the celebration of the lord's supper he is not present at the holy sacrament under the form of bread and wine as the roman catholics and some anglicans say the consecrated bread is not the body of christ and the consecrated wine is not the blood of christ those sacred elements are the emblem of something absent and not of something present the words of the prayer book state this fact with unmistakable clearness the sacramental bread and wine remain still in their very natural substance and therefore may not be adored for that were idolatry to be abhorred of all faithful christians and the natural body and blood of our saviour christ are in heaven and not here it being against the truth of christ's natural body to be at one time in more places than one rubric at the end of the communion service let these things sink down into our hearts it is a point of vast importance in this day to see clearly where christ's natural body and blood are right knowledge of this point may save our souls from many ruinous errors let us not be moved for a moment by the infidel when he sneers at miracles and tries to persuade us that a religion based on miracles cannot be true tell him not to waste his time in talking about the flood or the sun standing still or balaam's ass speaking or the whale swallowing jonah or the ravens feeding elijah ask him to grapple like a man with the greatest miracle of all the resurrection of christ from the dead ask him to explain away the evidence of that miracle if he can remind him that 
long before he died jesus christ staked the truth of his messiahship on his resurrection and told the jews not to believe him if he did not rise from the dead remind him that the jews remembered this and did all they could to prevent any removal of our lord's body but in vain tell him finally that when he has overthrown the evidence of christ's resurrection it will be time to listen to his argument against miracles in general but not till then the man christ jesus is in heaven and not on earth the mere fact that his natural body and blood are in heaven is one among many proofs of the truth of christianity let us not be moved by the roman catholic any more than by the infidel let us not listen to his favorite doctrine of christ's body and blood being really present in the elements of bread and wine at the lord's supper it is his common argument that we should believe this doctrine though we cannot understand it and that it is a pleasant comfortable and reverent thought that christ's natural body and blood are in the bread and wine in some mysterious way though we know not how let us beware of the argument it is not only without foundation of scripture but full of dangerous heresy let us stand fast on the old doctrine that christ's natural body and blood cannot be in more places than one at one time let us maintain firmly that christ's human nature is like our own sin only excepted and cannot therefore be at once in heaven and on the communion table he that overthrows the doctrines of christ's real true and proper humanity is no friend to the gospel any more than he that denies his divinity tell me that my lord is not really man and you rob me of one half of my soul's comfort tell me that his body can be on earth and yet in heaven at the same time and you tell me that he is not man let us resist this mischievous doctrine christ as man is in heaven and in heaven alone so much for the first question which i propose to answer christ is in heaven and not in the grave miserable indeed is that religion which is content to honor him as nothing more than a moral teacher who died like plato or socrates and saw corruption christ is in heaven and not in the bread and wine at the lord's supper they do him little real honor who in fancied reverence try to persuade us that his body is a body unlike that of man christ is in heaven alive and not dead forever let us glory in his atoning death and the life-blood that he shed for us on the cross but never let us forget that he was raised again for our justification his life is as important to us as his death what say the scriptures if when we were enemies we were reconciled to god by the death of his son much more being reconciled shall we be saved by his life romans chapter 5 verse 10 let us next consider the second question which i propose to examine what is jesus christ doing now that he is doing some great thing for man we need not doubt for a moment the bible account of all his dealings with man makes it impossible to arrive at any other conclusion in abounding mercy and grace he has always been taking thought for our poor fallen race and caring for our best interests he has been ever caring and working for our souls and his mercy endureth for ever he never changes do we not read that christ was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world revelation chapter thirteen verse eighteen do we not hear him saying when the lord gave to the sea his decree that the water should not pass his commandment when he appointed the foundations of the earth then i was by him as one brought up with him and i was daily his delight rejoicing always before him 
rejoicing in the habitable parts of the earth, and my delights were with the sons of men. Proverbs chapter 8, verses 29 to 31. Are we not taught everywhere in Scripture that for four thousand years he was trusted for salvation by all saved souls, though seen dimly and afar off through figures and sacrifices? Do we not learn that Christ, and Christ alone, was the only hope of Abel, and Enoch, and Noah, and Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob, and Moses, and Samuel, and David, though they only saw, through a glass darkly, what we see face to face? Do we not know that in the fullness of time Christ came into the world born of a woman, lived for us, suffered for us, wrought righteousness for us, made satisfaction for us, died for us, rose again for us, and purchased eternal redemption for sinners at the cost of his own blood? And can we doubt for a moment that Christ is still doing great things for us? No, indeed. He said himself in a certain place, My father worketh hitherto, and I work. John chapter 5, verse 17. We may take up the expression and say, Christ has worked for us, and Christ is working for us at this very day. But what is that special thing that Christ is doing now? The question demands our best attention. This is no light and speculative matter. It lies near the foundation of all comfortable Christianity. Let us see. Christ is now carrying on in heaven the work of a priest, which he began upon earth. He took our nature on him in the fullness of time and became a man that he might be perfectly fitted to be the priest that our case required. As a priest, he offered up his body and soul as a sacrifice for sin upon the cross and made a complete atonement for us with his own blood. As a priest, he ascended up on high, passed within the veil, and entered into the presence of God. As a priest, he is now sitting on our behalf at the right hand of God, and what he began actively on earth he is carrying on actively in heaven. This is what Christ is doing. How and in what manner does Christ exercise his priestly office? This is a deep subject, and one about which it is easy to make rash statements. The action of one of the persons of the Blessed Trinity in heaven is a high thing, and passes man's understanding. The place whereon we stand is holy ground. The thing we are handling must be touched with reverence, like the ark of God. Nevertheless, there are some things about Christ's priestly office which even our weak eyes may boldly look at, and God has caused them to be written plainly for our learning. The secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children. Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29. Let us see. 1. We need not doubt that Christ, as our priest, is ever presenting the merits of his sacrifice for us before God. Of course, he has no need to repeat that sacrifice. By one offering he has perfected for ever those that are sanctified. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. But in some ineffable manner he is ever in God's presence as the bearer of the sins of his people. The atonement made on the cross for us is kept continually in remembrance by the appearance of him who made it. Twenty-seven times the visions of heaven in Revelation describe Christ as the Lamb. Twice they call him the Lamb slain. Twice they speak of his blood. The priest who offered the sacrifice is always in heaven. The sacrifice is never forgotten in heaven. And so they that trust in it are always acceptable in heaven. This is one thing. 2. Again, 
we need not doubt that christ as our priest is ever interceding for us in heaven it is written he is able to save them to the uttermost who come unto god by him because he ever liveth to make intercession for them hebrews chapter 7 verse 25 it is asked by saint paul who is he that condemneth and one reason he gives why there is no condemnation for believers is the fact that christ maketh intercession for us romans chapter 8 verse 34 of the manner of that intercession we cannot of course speak particularly we may not intrude into things unseen but it may suffice us to remember how our lord prayed for his people in the seventeenth chapter of john and how he told peter he prayed for him that his faith may not fail luke chapter twenty two verse thirty two our great high priest knows how to intercede this is another thing three again we need not doubt that christ as our priest presents the names of his people continually before his father the jewish high priest had the names of the tribes of israel engraved on the ornaments he wore upon his head and shoulders that this was the figure of something which christ is ever doing for christians in heaven is clear and plain as the day he appears in the presence of god for us hebrews chapter 9 verse 24 he acts as the representative of his people through him they are known and thought for in heavenly places long before they go there the interests and safety of the body are secured and provided for because the head is already in heaven this is another thing four again we need not doubt that christ as our priest presents the prayers and sacrifices of his people before god and obtains for them hearing acceptance and favor like the jewish priest he offers incense within the veil leviticus chapter sixteen verses twelve and thirteen and that incense is mingled with the prayers of his saints revelation chapter eight verse three this is a very great mystery no doubt but one full of consolation it is hard at any time to understand how any word or deed of sinful creatures like us can ever come into the presence of god and do us any good but the priesthood of christ explains all placed in his hands and endorsed by him our petitions like banknotes duly signed obtain a value which they have not in themselves a young christian once said to an old one my prayers are so poor and weak that i cannot think they are of any use the old christian replied with deep wisdom only place them in christ's hands and he makes them look so different in heaven that you would hardly know them again prayers that are worth nothing in themselves are effectual when offered through christ for the sake of christ through the mediation of christ expressions like these are so common that few duly weigh their meaning but rightly considered they are full of deep doctrine even the doctrine of the priestly office of jesus this is another thing five again we need not doubt that christ as our priest in heaven is ever doing the work of a friend a protector a counsellor and advocate on behalf of his people it is not for nothing that we are told that he is at god's right hand romans chapter eight verse thirty four and that he sitteth at the right hand of god colossians chapter three verse one first peter chapter three verse twenty two these words have a deep meaning they teach that christ is ever watching over the interests of his people and providing a continual supply of all that they need he that keepeth israel neither slumbers nor sleeps we have an advocate with the father jesus christ the righteous psalm 121 verse 4 first john chapter 2 verse 1 
to hear the daily confessions of his saints and grant them daily absolution to sympathize with them in all their troubles guide them in their perplexities strengthen them for their duties preserve them in their temptations all this is part of christ's priestly office what else can be the meaning of st paul's words when he says to the hebrews let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need hebrews chapter four verse sixteen the priesthood of jesus is the very hinge and pivot on which that whole exhortation turns this is another thing six finally we need not doubt that christ as a priest in heaven is continually doing the work of a receiver of sinners and a mediator between god and man the priest was the person to whom the israelite was bidden to go when he was ceremonially unclean and wanted forgiveness the command was distinct go to the priest the heavenly priest is the person to whom laboring and heavy-laden souls ought always to be directed when they want pardon and rest he that feels the burden of sin on his conscience and wants it taken away ought to be told that there is one appointed by the father for the very purpose of taking it away and that the first step he must take is to go to him when the frightened jailer of philippi cried out in agony of spirit what must i do to be saved he got to all appearance a very simple answer believe on the lord jesus christ and thou shalt be saved acts chapter sixteen verses thirty and thirty one yet simple as that answer seems it contains the whole doctrine of christ's priestly office it was as good as saying there is a priest ready to receive confess and absolve you jesus christ the lord go and put your soul into his hands and you shall have full pardon the power of absolving every sinner that comes to him is one grand part of christ's priestly office thou hast given him the power over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him john chapter seventeen verse three jesus whom you slew and hung on a tree him hath god exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a saviour for to give repentance unto israel and forgiveness of sins acts chapter five verse thirty one this is another thing such is the manner in which christ exercises the work of a priest in heaven it is a vast and wide subject I feel deeply that I have only touched the surface of it, and the half of it is left untold. Who can describe fully the singular fitness of our Lord Jesus Christ to be the priest of man? His possession of all power in heaven and earth, so that he is able to save to the uttermost, and no case is too hard for him, and no sinner too bad to be saved. His tenderness and sympathy, so that he can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. His long-suffering and patience, so that he can bear with our weaknesses and pity our mistakes his wisdom his faithfulness his readiness to aid who can describe or number up these things none know them but those who know them by experience and even they know very little of their extent of all the offices that christ exercises on behalf of his people none will so richly repay thought and study as that of his priesthood let us thank god daily that christ is doing the work of a priest for us in heaven let us glory in his death but let us not glory less in his life let us praise god daily that jesus died for our sins according to scriptures but let us never forget to praise him that he rose again for us and sat down at the right hand of god let us be thankful for the precious blood of christ but let us not be less thankful for his precious intercession Christ's priesthood is the great secret of daily comfort in Christianity. 
it is hard to do our duty in that place of life which god has appointed us and not to become absorbed in it we are such weak poor creatures that we cannot do two things at once the cares and business and occupations of life however innocent and sinless often seem to drink up all our thoughts and swallow up all our attention but oh what an unspeakable comfort it is to remember that we have a high priest in heaven who never forgets us day or night and is continually interceding for us and providing for our safety happy is the man who knows how to begin and end each day with his priest this is indeed to live the life of faith christ's priesthood is the great secret of a saint's perseverance to the end left to ourselves there would be little likelihood of our getting safe home we might begin well and end ill so weak are our hearts so busy the devil so many the temptations of the world that nothing could prevent our making shipwreck but thanks be to god the priesthood of christ secures our safety he who never slumbers and never sleeps is continually watching over our interests and providing for our need while satan pours water on the fire of grace and strives to quench it christ pours on oil and makes it burn more brightly start us in the narrow way of life with pardon grace and a new heart and leave us to ourselves and we should soon fall away but grant us the continual intercession of an almighty priest in heaven god as well as man and man as well as god and we shall never be lost because i live says our lord ye shall live also john chapter fourteen verse nineteen let us ever beware of any doctrine which interferes with the priesthood of christ any system of religion which teaches that we need other mediators besides jesus other priests besides jesus other intercessors besides jesus is unscriptural and dangerous to men's souls what greater folly can be conceived than to flee to the virgin mary or the saints or to put our souls in the hands of clergymen and ministers when we have such a priest as jesus christ in heaven what can a woman who herself needed a savior do for the souls of others luke chapter one verse forty seven what has she done to prove her love to sinners compared to the great high priest christ the lord what single example have we in all the new testament of any one using a minister as a priest even in the days of peter and paul this modern system which is not satisfied with christ's priesthood but must have mortal men as priests besides bears the mark of its origin on its face it is from beneath and not from above there is no office of christ said john owen that satan labors so hard to obscure and overthrow as his priestly one satan cares little comparatively for christ the prophet and christ the king so long as he can persuade man to forget christ the priest forever let us stand fast on this point that christ is carrying on the office of a priest in heaven is the crown and glory of christian theology end of chapter eleven part one